Hey, we're going to do something a little bit different, all right? So I want everybody to stand with me. I want everybody to stand with me. And let's do this quietly. And I want you to turn your attention up here to the screens. And I want us, if we can, we can go ahead and throw that first, uh, first slide up there. I want us, we're going to read some scripture together. And if you're wondering why in the world we're standing up, we're standing in honor of what it is we're about to read, okay? So I'm going to ask you guys to read this with me, okay? Here's what it says. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless. Read with me. Who walk according to the law of the Lord. Did, did, we, skip, did we skip one? There. Hey. All right, let's try this again. How about this? You guys ready? Okay, and I'll make sure the next slide is, is right. Here we go. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep His statutes and seek Him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in His ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying Your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all Your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. Let's go to the next. Let's make sure this is right before we start reading it together. Okay, here we go. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Let's keep going. You can just keep hammering her, man. You don't have to wait on me. Here we go. Rulers persecute me without cause, but my heart trembles at your word. I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. Great peace have they who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. I wait for your salvation, O Lord, and I follow your commands. I obey your statutes, for I love them greatly. I obey your precepts and your statutes, for all my ways are known to you. You guys have a seat. Let me read you this last paragraph that we missed at the beginning. Listen to what this says. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate, it on, I meditate it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path, so that I may obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. What you and I just stood and read together 
is a passage of scripture that comes from Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. There are 176 verses in Psalm 119. And here's what becomes undeniably clear as you read this entire chapter. And I would encourage you, go back and read it. We just read a part of it. Here's what becomes so clear about the writer. Some believe the writer was David. Some believe it was Ezra. Some people say we don't know, but here's what's clear about the person writing this chapter in the book of Psalms. They love this book. They love this book. And they don't love just hearing this book. They don't just love reading this book. They don't just love understanding this book. They actually love doing the things that this book says to do. Guys, here's my prayer for you tonight as we continue on in this series. My prayer is that we would be a bunch of people who leave tonight and just like the writer of Psalm 119, I pray that we are a bunch of Christ followers who leave characterized by a deep love and passion for this book. Like, man, I pray that we wouldn't just show up here on Wednesday nights and read words off a screen and, well, that's nice and that's pretty. No, I pray we walk out of here and we go, man, I just can't get enough of that. And I love to hear it and I love to read it and I love to understand it and I love to do it. I love that book. That's my prayer. If you want to be a Christ follower who makes a difference in this world, listen to me. It takes loving God. It takes loving people. It takes loving this book. This book is everything. Um, I've shared some of my story with you about me growing up in church, and I want to kind of take it back there because it it ties into what we're talking about tonight when it comes to loving the scriptures. I've told you before, I I grew up in a church that preached a lot of rules, right? I, I grew up in a church... Um, where a lot of people told me my long hair and earrings were sinful. They couldn't tell me why they were sinful, but they were sinful, right? And uh, I just remember, man, being your age and sitting under teaching, where it's just every week, man, I left and I felt so guilty about everything I was doing and rules, rules, rules. God hates me. God doesn't love me. I got to measure up here if God's really going to accept me, right? Now, here's the thing. When it came to reading this book, I felt very much the same way, okay? I would listen to pastors get on stage and tell me that I should read this book, read this book, get up every day and read this book, right? And some of them are going, you need to get up at five in the morning and read this book. And I'm like, dude, I'm doing good to wake up by like 8.30, right? Nine o'clock, I can't do five, but read this book, read this book, read this book. Here's how it kind of went for me. I started to believe that as a Christian, reading this book fell into the same categories as all these other rules I was hearing. And that the reason that I was supposed to read this book was so that God would like me and that he would be pleased with me. So let me make it real simple. I believe when I was your age that I should read this book for the same reasons I shouldn't see rated R movies, shouldn't listen to Rage Against the Machine, and shouldn't drink beer, right? And, and here's the thing. I just thought, man, I do this because it's just what good Christians do. And so I remember being in your seat and hearing a guy like me get on stage every once in a while and he'd get up and preach about the importance of reading the Bible and getting in the scriptures and loving this book. And I'd feel really guilty because I hadn't read it in a really long time. And I would go home and I'd pull it off the shelf and knock the dust off and I'd open its pages and I'd start reading and I'd do good for about a week until I got busy with other stuff or I made it to a point where I'm like, dude, this is hard. I don't understand this. And eventually it would 
kind of just go back to the place where it was less and less and less and less, and then it would become no more again. I would spend no more time in it until some guy like me stood on a stage again and talked to me about how bad I should feel for not reading the Bible. This was the cycle that I grew up in. Now, here, here's the deal. I would imagine I'm not the only guy in the room who struggled with reading the Scriptures, I would imagine that I'm not the only guy in the room with the story that says, yeah, man, I read this book so that I can kind of run to God and go, dude, I read it for 30 minutes today. Aren't you proud of me? God, I read the whole four chapters of Philippians. Isn't that awesome? Like some of you guys in here, that's your story. You take this book and you read it so that you can prove yourself to God. Now, remember back to week one, you got nothing to prove, man. He loves you. It's not about reading this so that God accepts you and likes you. There's so much more to this book than that. And tonight, that's what I want to talk to you about. Um, Flip your Bibles, if you have them, over to Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm going to start to explain what I mean. Ephesians chapter 2. If you're taking notes, I want you to write two words either on your paper, in your journal, whatever it is you're writing on, okay? One word, I want you to write it up at the top. I want you to write the word why. Why? W-H-Y. Why? I want you to skip about halfway down the page. Skip about halfway down the page, and I want you to write the word how. Okay? So at the top, why, middle of the page, I want you to write the word how. We're going to go off on what seems like a tangent for a minute, but I need you to stay with me because this is insanely important to the point I'm trying to make tonight. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2. We're throwing this on the screen. You can follow along if you don't have a Bible. Read this. Here's what the Bible says. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You remember me talking about this week one? About how you and I are sinful people. This is what we believe as Christians. Everybody is a sinful person, and our sin has broken our relationship with God. Paul's reminding us here that our sin kills us spiritually. It kills us. And the way that uh, it it comes out of us, the the spiritual death that is ours because of our sin, it manifests itself in our lives by us just walking through life, kind of doing whatever we want. Like that's what the Bible says. You just follow the course of the world. I mean, you live for yourself. You live for pleasure. You do whatever you want. You don't really think about anybody else or or God. You pay no attention to him. And then Paul goes, and because of that, what you deserve from God is punishment. What you deserve from God is wrath and judgment. I told you week one, what we all deserve from God is what? To die as sinful people, hopeless people on our way to an eternity spent in a very real place called hell. Now, here's the good news. Here's the good news. Keep reading. The Bible says, but God, and this is where we brought it to week one, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved and he raised us up with him. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So again, here's what I want you to hear. If this is your first time coming this year to reckless, here's what I want you to hear. God loves you. He loves you. And he loves you in spite of you. 
And I don't care what you've done wrong. I don't care how bad you've messed up. Look at me. God loves you in spite of you. How did he prove that? Through Jesus. He sent his son into the world and he put him on a cross to make sure you knew how much he loved you. Jesus paid for your sins so that you could be loved by God. And the Bible goes on. Paul says he did that for a couple of reasons. So that, this is verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is silly. One of the, the Bible says one of the reasons God loves you is so that one day you can go hang out with Jesus. How insane is that? So that in eternity God can just keep showing you grace and showing you grace and showing you grace through you being with Jesus for the rest of eternity. That's one of the reasons God saved you. And then it goes on. And I want to jump down to verse 10. And it says this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Paul says, God saved you to keep showing you grace, to let you hang with Jesus for all of eternity. And he saved you because before you were ever born, he had good works he wanted you to accomplish and pull off. That's why he created you. That's why he saved you. Okay, stay with me. Everybody with me? Okay, Matthew chapter 5. You don't have to flip there, but we're going to throw it on the screens and you can read along. Matthew chapter 5, this is Jesus speaking. And he says to his followers, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Now listen to this verse, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So let me make sure we got this so far so I don't lose anybody. Ephesians 2 God said, or Paul says, God saved you, he created you because he loves you, and he did it also so that he could have you pull off some good works that he created you for. I mean, he had these things prepared before you were ever alive. Jesus says in Matthew 5, we should let our good works, the same good works God created us for and saved us for, that we should run into the world and do these good works so that people give him glory, right? We're not alive to do things so that people look at us and go, dang, dude, you're awesome, right? Maro- Whoa, Maroli, man, what a stud. He's incredible, right? No, no, no. People should look at our lives and go, no way that was him, right? Like people should be able to look at a, a kid like Blake and go, okay, I know Blake. Blake couldn't pull off something that good. That's got to be God in him, right? Praise God for what Blake just did because I know that's him. Th- this is the point. God created you and he saved you for good works so that you pull those things off and people give him glory. Okay, you with me? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I want you to listen to this. Listen to this. This is where we're going to bring it to a head. Here we go. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Here's the key. That the man of God may be competent, equipped for what? Equipped for what? Every good work. Okay, so again, you were created for and saved for what? Good works. And you were created and saved for good works so that who gets glory? And what does this book equip us for? Those good works. Guys, the reason we read this book 
is so that we can walk out the doors of this place and we can truly live for the purposes that God created us for and put us on this earth for. We are supposed to run into this world and do good works so that people see Jesus in us and they give God glory. This book is what equips us and makes us competent to pull those things off. This is why we read this book. Not to make God like you, right? Not so that you can be more spiritual than everybody else in the room. Not so that you can, and I've said this before, not so that you can turn into lazy, fat, spiritual Christian who knows a lot about this book. We don't care how much you know about this book if you're not doing anything it says, right? We don't care. The purpose for reading this book is to equip you to go out and to do the good works God created you for, saved you for, so that through your life, He gets glory. That's why you read this book. How different is that than I've got to read this today so God will be happy with me, right? That's why you read it. Now, how? Here's the other big question. How? How does this book that I'm holding in my hand accomplish its purpose? How does it equip us for good works? Right there in 2 Timothy 3, Paul tells us how. Here's the first thing he says. He says, this book, it teaches us. It teaches us. Um, back to the first few weeks of our series. Remember, Jesus is teaching in Mark 12. And the guy asked him the question, like, what is the greatest thing I can do with my life? What's the greatest commandment? And you remember what Jesus says, right? He says, what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind and with all your strength. Listen, part of loving God requires you to use your brain. Do you get that? Part of loving God requires you to use your intellect and your reasoning and your thought, uh, your, your thought processes, your decision making. Part of loving God requires that you engage your mind. I tell you this, um, if you haven't heard me say this, I've said it a bunch of times and I'll keep saying it. Guys, when it comes to spiritual things, you have got to leave your brains on, okay? Spiritual things go way beyond just feelings, it requires that you use your mind. Guys, you and I have a responsibility as Christ followers to learn what is true about God. And guess where we find out what's true about God? From this book. From this book. Um, I, I was having a conversation with a buddy of mine a couple years ago about this. And uh, it was interesting. Uh, we were having some disagreements. And I just remember in the middle of the conversation, the comment he made. And here was the comment. He said, well, I'm not really worried about theology. And if you don't know that word, it's just a fancy word that means a study of who God is, right? Study of who God is. I'm not really worried about theology. I'm not really worried about studying about who God is. I'm only worried about fruit. That, that was, or in other words, I'm only worried about what comes out of my life, actions. Guys, here's the danger with a statement like that. If you have bad theology or you have wrong beliefs about who God is, guess what's going to come out of your life? Bad fruit. You're going to live in a way that is untrue about the character and the nature of God. I cannot tell you how important it is for you and I to spend time in this book learning what God has said about himself to us. Um, th this is for free. Y you know this book is not about you, right? You guys know that? This is not a book about you. This is a book primarily about God. This book is not about you. It is for you. 
right? God gave us this book to tell us who he is and how you and I should live in light of all that he is. If you want to know what's true about God, you've got to spend time in this book. And here's what happens. You're going to get in the pages of this book and you're going to start to read about this holy God who you're undeserving of because of your sin. This God who has eternal beings casting crowns at his feet in this very moment. You're going to read about a God whose glory is so great that angels have to cover their faces in his presence. You're going to get in this book and you're going to read that that same God came to save you from your sins out of his great love for you. And the reason he did that is so that you could make much of him both here and in eternity and live a life that counts. And here's what happens. You get in this book and you learn what's true about God and you learn what's true about you and all that he's done for you. You're going to start to have a desire to live a life that gives him honor and gives him praise. That's what's going to happen. Read this book. It'll teach you what's true about God. Paul goes on and he says, not only does it teach us, but he says, this book reproofs us. And that's kind of a weird word. I'll give you a different word that you probably know better. This book rebukes us. It rebukes us. So in other words, I get in this book and those areas of my life that really don't match up with Jesus, when I read this book, this book is going to get in my face a little bit. Listen, I've had times where I felt like this book grabbed me by the shirt collar when I was reading it and pushed me against a wall and got in my face. I'll give you an example. Um, A couple of years ago, my wife, and I've told some of you guys about my wife's story, she's grown up in just, you know, a nightmare of a family. Um, Just, you know, drug, alcohol addicts all throughout the family. Um, She was supposed to be an aborted baby. Um, She was never supposed to be alive, my wife. Uh, raised by grandparents. Um, You guys know just a few months ago, my brother-in-law died of a drug overdose, just got caught up hanging with the wrong friends as my wife's brother. Just nightmare, nightmare. A couple years ago, my wife kind of hit this point where the reality of what she had grown up in, man, it just started to kind of overtake her. And she realized she couldn't fix the people around her that she loved. And it became so overwhelming to the point that she physically started having these things happen and she was stressed and she was anxious and she was depressed and I felt like nothing I could do would help her. And as a guy, you want to fix everything, right? You want to fix everything. And so I became insanely frustrated with feeling like I couldn't help my wife to the point where I kind of started pulling away from her, right? Instead of loving her well, I kind of started going, I don't know what to do. You know, I'll pray for you from over here, right? I didn't know what to do. One day I got this book out, and here's what I read. I read 1 Peter, starting in chapter 7, and here's what Peter says. He says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay, I read that. And I remember in that moment thinking to myself, what in the world am I doing as a husband? I know you guys aren't married, but you'll understand one day. And I remember sitting there after I read this and going, man, I'm being an idiot. I'm doing a really terrible job of loving my wife. And the book just said, if I'm not loving my wife well, God is not even listening to my prayers. So every time I go to God and I pray, he's going, no, 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 dude, you get that fixed and then I'll listen. Until then, you're on your own. That's a scary picture. 
So I read this book, and man, it starts rebuking me. It starts getting in my face. And I just remember having a conversation with a friend of ours and telling her about this. And she just said, James, quit trying to fix your wife, man. Start loving your wife. And so I tried from that point forward. Here's the good news about this book. It doesn't just rebuke you. It doesn't just get in your face. It doesn't just grab you by the shirt collar and throw you against the wall. Paul goes on and he tells Timothy that after it rebukes you, it corrects you. So this book doesn't just slam you down to your knees. It also picks you back up and helps you keep going. That's the whole idea behind this word, correct. In the Greek, it means to help someone back up who stumbled or fallen or to restore something to its proper condition. This book will throw me to the floor, but it will also pick me back up and restore me. Um, let me stay with the illustration of, of loving my wife, okay? As I kept reading this book, I realized I was being an idiot. I was acting stupid. God isn't hearing my prayers, I started to realize that the same verses that rebuked me were the same verses that were going, hey, stupid, here's the way you need to do it, right? And here's what the Word said. It said, dude, start to live with your wife in an understanding way. Hey, listen to me. Some of you guys and girls need to listen real good right now because you're dating. You need to hear this. I'll explain along the way. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Like the Scripture's looking at me going, dude, it's not all about you. Quit worrying about you. Think about her. Try to understand her. Put yourself in her shoes. Guys, look at me. I know you're just teenagers. It ain't all about you and your dating relationship. Girls, look at me. You need to be dating guys who try to understand you. Uh, the, the scripture went on and it says to honor your woman as the weaker vessel. This doesn't mean that girls are beneath us, women are beneath us. If you study it in the original Greek language of the New Testament, it means that we should treat our women like porcelain. The things that we say to them, the way that we treat them, we should treat them with delicacy, like they're this thing that we just don't want to break. And I started realizing I need to be careful with my actions. I need to be careful with my words. Fellas, look at me. Some of you guys treat girls like crap. You talk to them like crap. You treat them like crap. Quit being a boy. Be a man. Honor your girls. Girls, look at me. Some of you guys date stupid boys. You do. No, no look, look at me. Look at me. Hey, I hear girls, high school girls, complain all the time about, I wish there were more mature guys. You want to mature a guy quicker than anything? Look a dude in the face who wants to date you and say, I only date men, I don't date boys. You need to mature and then you can come back and talk to me. You want to see some guys mature? Listen to me, girls. You need to date a guy who's going to honor you. That's what the word says. And not only that, it, it goes on right here at the end. And here's the big thing. I, I need you to hear this. This hit me like a ton of bricks. The Bible says that my wife, my girl, she is an heir of grace with me. You know what that means? I'll just make it simple. My wife is a daughter of God. And I need to treat her like that. Okay, here's the picture. I'm going to show up before God one day with my wife by my side. And I've got to answer to him for the way I've treated his daughter. Okay, I'm a dad of a new little girl, and I'm already planning the ways I'm going to scare the heck out of teenage boys that show up on my doorstep. And you think I'm kidding? I am not kidding. I already have it in my mind planned out. Okay, 
Listen to me. Listen to me. Girls, girls, you need to date somebody who treats you like you're worth something. You need to date a guy who sees you as a daughter of God and who treats you like they know they're going to show up before him one day and answer for the way they've treated you. Guys, you need to treat your girl like she's a daughter of God. And whether you want to believe me or not, you're going to show up before him one day and you're going to answer for the way you treated his daughter. Treat her as an heir of grace. That's what this book says. I I know I just did more rebuking than correcting, um, but hey, they go hand in hand, right? This book rebukes, this book corrects, and the last thing Paul says is this. This book trains us in righteousness. The whole idea of this statement is this. This book, when we read it, provides ongoing training in, in us becoming more and more and more and more and more like Jesus. Um, a couple of examples to help you understand, then we're going to close. Think about a kid, right? I just told you I'm a new dad. I'm already thinking about when my little girl starts walking, talking, crawling around. Um, think about a little kid. A little kid uh, is evil, okay, aren't they? I mean, they do wrong things. Nobody has to teach little kids how to do wrong things. They just do wrong things. Now, let's say my little girl in a couple years, I love to drink coffee. I'm sitting on my couch. I'm drinking coffee, and I put it on the table, and my little girl walks in and grabs it and dumps it on the carpet, right? Now, here's the deal. As a dad, as a dad, it's first time, and I'll probably get on to her. I still love you. We don't dump coffee on the carpet, okay? All right, love you. Go play with your stuff. Here's the thing. The next time my two-year-old little girl walked in the room and my coffee was sitting on the table and she looked at it, do you think I, as a dad, would go, I've already told her once. I already told her once, man. She's good. She, no, what I do is I look at her and go, listen, you little sinner, right? <laughs> Keep your grubby little cans off my coffee. We do not dump coffee on the floor. I remind her, listen to me, I remind her of the conversation we had. Why? It's ongoing Training. I want to see my little girl grow into the girl I want her to be, and it takes ongoing training. For you guys that are athletes, you guys that are runners, do you hop on a treadmill and run for 10 minutes and then go out and run a marathon? No, man, listen, you train for months. You train for months, and you get yourself in the shape that you need to be in to go out and to kill that race. It's ongoing training. Paul says this book As believers in Christ, this is our ongoing training. If we want to be like Jesus, if we want to love God, if we want to love people, if we want to go into the world and make a difference and have our life count, this book provides all the training that we need for that to happen. That's what this book does for us. So here's what I want to encourage you to do as we close. I want to encourage you to do some very practical things that will help you to start getting in this book so that, it accom- so that it can accomplish its purpose in your life. First thing I want to tell you is this. Go get a good study Bible. I realize this is probably going to cost you 30, 40, 50 bucks. But one of the things I hear from students all the time is, James, I don't read this book because I can't understand it. Now, here's what I'd say. There's plenty in this book that you can understand. Try to read it. But if you can't understand it, I'm going to encourage you to do this. Get a good study Bible. Go to the Christian bookstore. Go to Barnes & Noble. Get on Amazon. 
search for a good study Bible. Here's what a study Bible is going to do. It's going to tell you exactly what you're reading. If you can't understand this book, a study Bible will tell you everything you need to know and everything you need to understand about what you're reading. That would be my first encouragement to you. Get a good study Bible. The the second thing I want to encourage you to do is to sign up for one of our growth groups. In your chairs tonight, there's a card. And I'm going to ask you at the end of the night to get that card out, to fill it out. We're going to have people at the doors, and you can sign up for one of these, drop it off to them. These growth groups start this Sunday morning. One is called Doctrine. You know what Doctrine is? It's everything this book teaches about what we should believe as Christians. And we're teaching one, I mean, this is just, it's insane that we would teach this, right? But how to study your Bible. There's a lot of you guys that need to be in one of these. This is a practical thing that you can do to understand this book so that it can accomplish its purpose in your life. Again, growth groups, they start this Sunday, 9 a.m. in the modulars right on the other side of the building. And at the end of the night, I'm going to remind you, you need to fill that out. You need to circle one of those. You need to get signed up. You need to get in a group. All right? You need to be intentional about following Jesus. Um, Here's another thing. Schedule a time each day to read this book. Now, you might think to yourself, James, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Put a time on my calendar. Schedule a time to read this book. Guys, we do it with everything else that's important in life, don't we? I mean, our games are scheduled that we go to. School, it's on a schedule. We have a schedule. Every Wednesday night, you know we're going to be here. Uh, You guys who are dating... Dude, you throw that on. You remember, I got a date this Friday night. You schedule things that are important to you. Guys, put a time aside every day. Schedule a time to read this book. Don't let anything else get in the way of it. And here's the last thing I'm going to encourage you to do. And your group leaders are going to talk to you more about this tonight. Get a structured reading plan. Get something that can help you and give you kind of some structure about what to read. There's a great website called youversion.com. You can go on to YouVersion, Y-O-U-Version.com. You can create a free account, and you can sign up for a reading plan. And every day you can go there, and it tells you exactly what to read. And you can pick from a wide array of reading plans. They've even got one specifically designed for students. So I want to encourage you to do those very practical things so that this book can start to make an impact in your life on a daily basis. All right, here's how we're going to close. Here's how we're going to close. Um, I've asked Corey and Chastity to come up and to just sing a couple of songs that I want us to sing with them. Now, here's the thing. We're stripping a lot of the band away for this, and we're doing it really intentionally. And here's why. These songs that we are about to sing come straight from this book. We are literally about to sing the scriptures. Okay, we're going to sing scripture. We're going to sing the very words of God back to God, the, the same God who inspired them and breathed them onto these pages. And so the reason I wanted to strip the band away is because I didn't want us to get caught up in the music and the guitars and the loud drums. I want us to sing these words, knowing that the words we're singing are the very words of God. And I want us to sing them with all of our hearts, man, with all of our passion. And I want us to lift our voices and I want us to focus on the words that are coming out of our mouths. I want these words tonight to teach us. 
I want these words tonight to maybe call us on some of the stuff in our lives. I want these words tonight to correct us, to bring us closer to the Lord. I want these words that we're about to sing tonight to make us more like Jesus. And so I'm going to ask you just to pray with me. And I'm going to ask these guys to sing. And we're going to stand and we're going to join with them. So you guys pray with me. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the opportunity to be in this place. God, I do. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. God, I thank you for how it changes hearts, changes lives, changes minds. God, I just pray tonight in this place, if there's anyone that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, God, that they would come to know you, God, in that very personal way tonight before they leave this place. God, as we sing your very words to you right now in this place, I pray that you are honored. I pray that these words would sink deep into our hearts and our minds. God, they would transform us. God, they would encourage us to be more and more and more and more like Jesus, God, so that through our lives you get glory and you're made much of. Lord, we love you so much. Be honored in this place tonight. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.